This week on Inside the Ropes, we go inside the Olympic Games team room at Tokyo with an insider's look at what the players are really like when they relax. We'll also hear from Hannah Green on her top five finish, a bit of Mark Leishman revelry, and we'll honour another club in the Visionary of the Year series. It's that time of the week. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe now through your favourite podcast app. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 219 of Inside the Ropes. Martin Blake, Golf Australia Media Manager, with you today from quarantine after the Tokyo Olympics. Thanks to Rod Murray for filling in over the last two weeks and doing a sterling job too, and Rod's back on the buttons today. Today we're going to wrap up the Tokyo Olympics, which finished over the weekend, of course, with golf coming through pretty strongly, I'd suggest. We're going to talk to uh, talk you through Cameron Smith's near miss in Memphis and his white-hot putter with the 18 putts in a round, and a whole lot more from around the globe from the game that we love. To help me through that, a man who was on the ground in Tokyo, team leader for the Australian Olympic golf, maybe the architect of Australian Olympic golf, Matt Cutler, welcome. Hello, Blakey. Great to be here. Does the architect uh, line sit well? No, that doesn't. I think you're mistaken me for Brad James. <laughs> uh, we're both in quarantine cuts. How's that looking for you? Uh, I've got a lovely view out my hotel window, but uh, I've got 14 days of that. Yes, uh, I have a similar view, albeit not on the uh, in the penthouse suite like you are, but uh, nice to see the Yarra, nice to see the sun shining in Melbourne and uh, a relief uh, in a way to be home and uh, have got through all the COVID protocols that we had to deal with in Tokyo. Well, you've, you've mentioned straight, gone straight to the point. I mean, Cuts, that was largely your role, wasn't it, to the logistics and, and the COVID protocols come right to the fore, don't they? It, it's, it seems like everything was difficult. Um, you did a great job, by the way, but, you know, I, I know that you, were, you had a knot in your stomach until those players got on the plane the last day, didn't you? I did. I had uh, had varying knots. Uh, the first one was around the the men arriving and uh, and getting in safely and and getting through all the the testing requirements. It was we were led to believe that the the requirements were going to be greater than they actually were once we were there. Once we, as you know, once we hit the ground, the needs of uh, the Olympic organisers sort of dropped a little, and uh, and it was more normal life. But uh, there was still a bunch of hoops to jump through to get everyone there. And having said that, we all had to turn up uh, each day with our, our little spit test tube and no one, I don't think anyone forgot that. I, I thought it'd be bound to be someone forget that at some point. Um, players, caddies, coaches, they all had to do it. We all, all the administrators and officials had to do it as well. We had to drop that off and test us at the golf club every day, otherwise you couldn't get in. Uh, we had to do a 72-hour test a couple of days ago um, to make sure that we could get home. We had to have proof of that. It, it was it was pretty stringent, uh, most of it, wasn't it? Yeah, and I, I guess the needs were, were different for every country. So when the men left, they had a different requirement because they were going into the US on a charter to the Memphis event. The women were going to the UK, so they had different needs again. Uh, and just getting that information was a little difficult in terms of exactly what you needed because the last thing you wanted was to finish the event and then have a player not be able to get to their next event because they hadn't ticked the right box or, or done the right test. 
The other thing that's worth mentioning, Matty, is that we were in a bubble over there. So just for the benefit of the listeners, we were only allowed to go from the hotel to the golf course and back. We ate every single meal either at the golf course or at the uh, hotel in the suburb of Kawagoe, about 20 minutes from the course. We weren't allowed to go outside of the hotel to, you know, uh, get anything really, Um I mean, I know that we probably skipped across the road to the supermarket once or twice, which, but it was really breaching the, the protocols if we did that. And I, I remember saying to you at one stage, you know, like the the last thing we needed was for any of us to maybe, let's say, catch COVID from someone in a shop or something like that, then bring it back, give it to the players or a player or a caddy. Then all of a sudden, everyone's out of the Olympic Games, aren't they? So, Yeah, exactly. And that was the risk. And everyone that was working at the event, was tested daily as we were. Um, you mentioned skipping over to the supermarket. We actually wasn't the supermarket. We skipped over to get some pants taken up. Um, That's right, so yeah. that, that was our only uh, our only departure from the bubble, which was a necessary one because we had to get uh, Cam and Leisha's pants taken up uh, prior to them competing. But, uh, look, we got we got through that necessary move. And, uh, and other than that, we were very lucky to have a coffee shop in our uh, hotel lobby, as, as you're aware. Yeah. It opened at 7am. Those early starts when we missed the coffee were, were a little difficult, but uh, we, were, we were pretty fortunate with the setup that we had. Kasuma Gaseki Country Club, beautiful course. Uh, the Clates and Rod Murray talked us through uh, the men last week with Cam Smith just missing out on a playoff for the medal. The second week, of course, was the women, and Hannah Green finished tied fifth. Uh, she also made a run at a medal, and it was pretty close, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, I, I must say, cuts the excitement. We were all uh, out on the course on that, that back nine with Hannah making the run on Sunday, and when she birdied the 14th hole par five, it was a big snaking um, left to right putt up the hill at 14 from about 30 or 40 feet. Uh, we were pretty pumped up, weren't we? Oh, that was uh, – we talked about it afterwards. That was probably the moment of the fortnight in terms of the on-course stuff, uh, that that long eagle putt that – that dropped and and the there weren't many people there as we know although i think there were a few uh ceos and captains of industry dressed as volunteers but uh there weren't many out there but we were making a lot of noise in the in the green and gold and and that run on the last day as we we sort of looked at a potential medal playoff was was very exciting so i think from memory hannah green went birdie birdie eagle birdie birdie uh on the back nine she'd previously was struggling on the the last day having coming into the last day with a, a bit of a chance kind of didn't have anything going and then she just got on a run um, she is a fighter Hannah there's no doubt about it she's got great competitive spirit and um, she not only eagled uh, the 14th she then came up the 15th par four and birdied that then the 16th par three she hit it hits it to about two and a half feet and nails that one and I think at that point she was probably only one to two shots out of the middle position she then unfortunately bogeyed the 18th um, from the the left trap and uh, ended up three shots I think it was outside the medal contention Nelly Corder won the gold obviously a a deserving uh, gold medalist uh, 17 under par shot an unbelievable 62 on the second day when she threatened to break 60 as a matter of fact took a bogey at the last when a birdie would have given her a, a 59 but she won the gold medal by a shot from Mona Anami from Japan, who's won five times in Japan this year. If you hadn't heard of her, that's because she plays on the Japan Tour. But the Japan Tour for women is 
an incredibly strong tour and she was only a shot out of it. And she actually plugged in the bunker on the last hole cuts. Otherwise, she may well have got into a playoff there. And Lydia, she beat Lydia Coe of New Zealand in a playoff for the bronze. Hannah shot 30 on the back nine. What would you take out of that week from Hannah's performance? Oh, I think from from our perspective, and we've obviously grown up with Hannah and seen her come through, but having not been able to get out there and watch them compete, the, the men or the women, for the last two years because of the COVID situation, you forget how good they are and, and how much they've improved. I mean, Hannah's two years since she won her PGA and, and she is just a seriously good player. Um, but as you alluded to before, she the competitive spirit and the ticker, she turned it two over par in that last round and and obviously that wasn't what she was after and, and, and everyone was a bit flat and then birdie 10 and away she went. She's just, she's a top 20 player in the world for a reason. Richie Smith, her coach, was there, and uh, I said to him the other day that I felt like Hannah just gets the best. She's one of those players who gets the best out of every round she plays. So uh, I think in Tokyo she missed a lot of fairways. Uh, I think on the first day she said that she only hit eight greens. So she had some uh, moments with her ball striking that it it was really off, to be honest. Um, But she's able to get through those moments, and when when she starts to turn it around, she can really make a run. Yeah, and I think that's something that all the good players do. They turn – and those, that first round for both um, Minji and Hannah at times um, could, have, could have been worse than it was, and they both, from memory, had even par on that day. And for Hannah particularly, that could have easily been a 74 or 75, the way she was playing, but she, she gritted it out and shot even par and, and kept herself in the tournament. Well, Minji Lee finished tied 29th, didn't really bring her best all week. Um seemed to me that she had a bit of post-major Evian Championship issues. She she came in really excited to be there, um, but just didn't have the game with her, and, uh, and that was the way it was. She was out of contention by the end of the third day. Yeah, she came in tired. I think um, no one can really understand, and unless you are that person, what, what a major takes out of you, and you probably don't realise it until a week later and, and she said walking out of the tournament on round four that she was just really tired when she arrived. Um, she said at the Olympics, I wanted to practice and I wanted to prepare, but in hindsight, perhaps she needed uh, a little, a little time off before coming over, but, but obviously that's not her. And she wanted to put in a great performance at, at Tokyo and, and kept on practicing right through. But I think uh, the win at Evian probably, from from our perspective, Blakey got a little glossed over because it was in the middle of the night. We didn't have access to, to watching it, um, but just an outstanding achievement from Minji and, and straight into the Olympics, you tend to forget how big an achievement it was. One thing I didn't mention when I was talking about Hannah's back, round, uh, back nine on, on the final day before was that there was a rain interrupt or a, a storm interruption that really hurt her. So she get, hits it on the 17th green. She's, as I mentioned in contention, and uh, she's got about a 20-foot downhill putt for birdie on the 17th green that if she makes it and then makes a birdie at the last, she's definitely a chance to get into a at least a playoff for bronze. And the storm horn goes and they've got to walk off, and that really hurt her. So we're going to have a listen to Hannah Green speaking after her final round in Tokyo, and you'll, you'll hear her make reference to how that impacted on her. Here she is. Hannah, what's your reflection on on that? It seemed like it was really close there on one or two stages. Yeah, I mean, 
obviously at the start of the day I was trying to you know win a gold medal and uh, my first couple hours on the golf course things weren't going well and I was scrambling really hard so I think to be even in contention come you know the last couple of holes I'm really proud of myself for how I hung in there and um, yeah didn't get too down on myself and try to think of the brighter bigger picture I guess and you know being so lucky that we even have an Olympics to compete in. <laughs> The back nine, you played it well all week, and it was your playground again. Just uh, couldn't yeah. quite, you know. We've talked about sinking those putts on the 18th. Yeah. Um, can you walk me through that back nine, like when you got that first birdie, and then obviously the eagle as well. Did you start to believe? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I felt like with nine holes to go, that I was nowhere near it, like where in it. And um, so when I made the putt on 10, I think it was really important for my confidence. Um, and then gave myself really good opportunities and I felt like I put it really solid from inside 10 feet and around 10 feet this week. So I knew there was a good chance. Um, if anything, you know, it's your stroke that is, is going to cause you to miss it. Um, the greens are really easy to read and they're rolling so nice. So I felt very confident. But I think the eagle putt um, on 14 really was when like, oh, OK, maybe I am in contention. So um, super happy to have birdied 15 and 16. But... I felt like I made almost a bogey on 17, not birdieing that hole. Um, didn't hit a great tee shot, probably the worst tee shot I hit all week, to be honest. So was a little bit disappointed, but I still had a birdie putt. So I felt like if I didn't have the delay, I probably could have hold it. Um, and then again on the last, I just misread it. So there's lots of positives out of today. Um, I can't dwell on making a bogey on 18. I have to think about where I come from um, on the back line. What? What was it like on the 17th after the resumption, having all six of you, yeah. everyone watching? Yeah, it was a little strange, actually. I guess I've never really had, you know, that position, especially since we called up the group behind. But, um, you know, I, was, I guess I was a little bit more cautious of everyone's lines. But um, it was probably the only part today where I wasn't really sure on the read. Um, I even pulled my caddy in, which I don't often do unless I am confused. So I felt like I probably didn't put my best stroke on it. But, um, you know, it still had an opportunity to go in, so I'm, I'm happy about that. But, um, yeah, I felt like because I had such good momentum that the delay kind of hurt me a little bit. But that's what happens, and I'm grateful we even, you know, got to get today's round in. Well, we, we were annoyed about the delay. Um, how about you when there, when there wasn't any thunder or lightning? It was just a bit of I honestly, I had no idea what was going on. I didn't look at the radar at all this week. Um, I thought we were very lucky to really only have one delay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess no matter what you do, it's such a hard position for the rules officials um, to be in. You know, obviously they want the safety of not only the players, but every volunteer that's out on the golf course. So it is a tough decision. And um, even if there wasn't any lightning, I guess they had to do that. Did you spend the time on the putting green, sort of eyeing up that four metre? Um, I had a little bit of lunch um, and then I rolled a few putts just downhill just because I did have a downhill on 17. I wanted to see if the greens had gotten any slower because I didn't see this, like, if there was rain or not. Um, so they, they were a little bit slower and a bit more receptive, but um, I was surprised we actually had the opportunity to practice. Um, normally when we play our LPGA Tour events, maybe if it's an hour delayed, then you get to have a warm-up. Usually if it's less than an hour, you just go straight back to your balls. So I don't know if it was beneficial that I went and hit putts or not. We'll see. <laughs> your energy dropped quite a bit because you had such fantastic momentum. Right? Yeah, definitely. I think it was hard to pump myself back up again. Um, I felt like I was on cloud nine for those five holes. So yeah, it was definitely hard to go back and rest and then come back out again. Um, sorry to Scotland. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah. on to the next. Um, you talked about, I guess, the rust 
as you yeah. started with here, and now obviously you've played some great golf to finish. Can you take that in for next week? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really would have loved to, you know, scratch that first round off and see, you know, maybe play another one tomorrow. But um, yeah, I'm super excited for Scottish and British Open. Um, I am half Scottish, so I'm actually going to have some family out there watching. So that would be really nice to see them after not seeing them for a couple of years. But um, yeah, two events that I find very important, and I really like links golf. Um, I haven't looked at the forecast, so I hope there's not too much rain, but I have been in Perth for the last few weeks, and it, that's all it's been doing, so maybe I'll have a little bit of uh, advantage that in that way. Um, just Jessica and the kind of run... Uh, sorry, Nelly, the run she's been on this year. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, even when she was about possibly shooting 59, uh, I'm not surprised. Um, as soon as she gets that ball rolling on the green, it's pretty easy for her to make birdies, so... Um, it's amazing, you know, four wins already this year and we're really only halfway in the season. So um, it's very inspiring and I'm sure, I'm sure the US team are very proud of it. Has the Olympic bug uh, bitten you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm definitely striving to make Paris 2024. Um, I didn't really think too much of it, but I guess it is only a few wait- years away. So hopefully I can keep continuing to play well on LPGA and do my job that way. How many bucket hats do you have to sign to send back to Australia? I know. Well, actually, can the AOC give me some more? I've had a lot of requests. Unfortunately, I only have one, and this one needs to be washed and kept for myself. So... So that's Hannah Green, who finished tied fifth on her Olympic debut. Now, Katz, I really wanted to get your insider view about, uh, you know, the team room in Tokyo and what that was like. So the tournaments were run separately, uh, one after the other. So you had the men in first, um, and then the women came in, and there was one night where they crossed over, staying at the same hotel. And you had a team room set up, which was basically a, a... hotel room at our hotel and because we're in that bubble uh not able to go out to restaurants and stuff like that there were no bars open or anything like that so at night time we we ended up uh, congregating there including the players and caddies every night didn't we it, it really worked very well and there was some a lot of laughter and a lot of revelry <laughs> there was it was uh it was something we thought of oh, i don't even know how it really came about but we had an extra room that became available to us and and we we just thought the idea of having somewhere where we could get together each night as you said because we're in the bubble keeping the team together it was an advantage that we thought Australian teams would have over other countries Um, particularly the players that are involved in Tokyo love spending time with each other Um, they all get on well with their caddies and, and as a group it was just a lot of fun but we I'm not sure how popular we were with the hotel staff. We we took one of the beds out. Uh, we put some bean bags in. We we had a projector uh, showing the Channel Seven coverage. So we had the the Aussie events playing with. Uh, it's funny, even even the, the players they live overseas, so often they enjoyed watching the Aussie ads. Um, just just some normality, uh, but look uh, like you know there was there was a fair bit of banter at everyone's expense, often at yours. But uh, that was that was why it was so much fun. The banter was off the scale, and I've got to say, Cameron Smith, we can talk a little bit about him, he is the king of, of banter, and, and if I can say it, the piss take. He, he is relentless. I mean, uh, just to put you in the picture, the, the very first time that I met him over there, I, I knew Cameron before, but not especially well, and he sits down next to me on the couch, and uh, we had this running joke about how much uh, copy I was writing on the on the tournament each night. I, uh, you know, the general idea was I was writing about three paragraphs, which 
uh, annoyed me when people kept saying that, but people did keep saying it. But Cam Smith comes in on the first day, sits down next to me and says, how are you going? I heard you're not doing much work, only three paragraphs a day. And that was the start of it. Um, there's one other incident in which um, Cam, off the first tee, hit a big hook. I can't remember whether it was the first or the second day. And I happened to be up halfway up the, up the uh, first hole watching him play and it nearly hit me it nearly hit brad james the team leader as well but uh, it almost hit me and i'm waiting there for cam to come and uh, hit his second shot from in the tree line down the left of the first and he gets about five meters away and he says something like sorry blakey uh, i don't mean to stop you writing your three paragraphs or something like that you know he's just non-stop isn't he tell us a bit about cam smith his love of fishing for instance i mean he's completely obsessed by fishing um he loves leash leash and him they really genuinely get on great and so too the the caddies sam pinfold and uh maddie kelly who who caddy who's caddied for leash for years yeah, look, all, all four of those guys get on well, and you've seen them at the Zurich. They love spending time with each other. But I think they've just got a really good idea of how to switch on and switch off. And and, and when it's golf time, it is 100% serious, and, and you wouldn't see four more serious-focused uh, athletes. So when it's time to switch off, they certainly know how to. And uh, Cam, to be honest, hasn't changed from the, the 15-year-old kid that came through our program he's just uh, had a lot more success and uh and probably got a little bigger house and maybe another boat but uh he he was relentless everyone was uh everyone was copying it i think finchy finchy copped a couple of beauties on the last night uh he to be fair he can give it out as well but uh i'd say cam just had his measure on that last night tell us uh, about the players and their uh winding up of finchy and his commentary give us a, a line about that you might not uh, need to go the whole way with that but Look, there's there's been a few challenges uh, put to Finchie when he's next uh, on air about winding some words in. But uh, look, one one of the things that I that I really liked was the fact that they all just said they had a really really good time, and the negative about it was that it made them homesick. They just love having uh, the piss taken out of them, as you said, Blakey, um, and it, and it was relentless. But uh, they just missed the banter. You don't get that on tour you don't get that with everyone and and it doesn't matter who you are you know what Aussies are like when they're when they're around each other they just uh love hanging out and love hanging out on each other wouldn't want to have a thin skin uh Mark Leishman <laughs> there, there was a, a moment as I mentioned on the uh the last night of the men's where the women came in to prepare for their particular part of the the Olympics and we actually ended up with the four players and and caddies all all there in the one room we had dinner together um I think people outside of the sport probably think that, oh, yeah, they're all golfers, so they would know each other. In actual fact, I, I don't think Mark Leishman really, if he had met either of the, either Minji Lee or, or Hannah Green, I, I don't think, possibly not. Um, someone asked Hannah whether she had met Cam, thinking that they were fairly similar, you know, close in age. She said, no, they, they missed each other through the junior ranks. So they, they didn't, you know, they had met, I think, but that'd be about it, maybe met once. So we brought them all together. And, uh, you know, I know that Brad James loved it because it was kind of symbolic of what we want to do with Australian golf is to bring all the strands together. That was a fun night, wasn't it? It was. And, and as you say, they don't get together very often, but uh, the, the respect for each other, uh, IBF, the the team leader, made a great speech, and and I, I didn't realise until he said it. But Australia's only had four women win major championships, and and two of those women were in that room, and he made a lovely speech, and 
and uh, alluded to Minji's victory. And, and obviously we hadn't seen Hannah in, in person since her PGA win a couple of years ago either. So you, you tend to forget how esteemed their careers are becoming and and to have the four of them together just sharing a bit of knowledge the men talked about the golf course and how how they played it and it was just a really nice night all round mark leishman's an interesting guy he's a funnier guy than what i i had realized when i got into his space a bit closer he was there with his coach dennis mcdade but he obviously gets on super well with with cam smith who he's won a couple of times with in America, and they represented Australia at the World Cup and that kind of thing. But let's just have a listen because Mark Leishman uh, did a little interlude, which I didn't see coming. I actually thought when he walked into the room that he was serious because we had a little Channel 7 microphone with us over there, and he bowled into the room with Cam Smith filming him. Let's just have a listen. This is the icebreaker for that night when we had all four of the Olympians and their caddies in the same room. Mark Leishman. All right, three, two, one. All right, uh, Andrew Gaze, Andy Maher, thank you, Mark Leishman here, uh, reporting for Channel 7. Um, we're here in the Australian team room. Um, we've got a few caddies, we've got uh, Hannah Green, Finchy here, the legend. Finchy. G'day, mate. What an, what an amazing, we're talking to Andy Maher. Oh, g'day, Andy. Andy. Gaze, yeah, hey, live. Andrew, oh, we're live. Live, wow. yeah. Um, so how was, how was the week? Was it, you know, did you have a good time? Minji Lee right here. Yeah. Well, I think we had a great time. The uh, the team room was, as you'd expect, in an Australian team room. Um, we uh, had a couple of beers just to celebrate. You know, not every morning and lunch and dinner, but uh, we did have a good time. And yeah. anyway, as you can see from Leash here, he's um, appropriately dressed for a Sunday evening. Who's wearing the best socks? <laughs> So that was Mark Leishman, the comedian, Maddie. Did you see that coming? I, I actually thought it was serious because I, he mentioned that he was he was throwing back to Andy Marr and Andrew Gaze, and I knew that Andy Marr would be very interested in what was going on in that team room, so I was pretty quiet. It's been pointed out to me uh, by several people today because Leish has put this on Instagram. If, you wanna, if anyone wants to see it at home, just go onto Leish's Instagram account, but uh, I'm in the corner. I've got a glass of red wine in my hand. Yes, uh, you found that position often, to be fair. My, my customary um, position. <laughs> your natural habitat. Um, no, I, I, I actually didn't see it coming. I think that uh, that was something that the boys worked on and uh, caught Finchie by surprise. And uh, ever the professional, he handled it very well. And one thing that uh, Leash did talk about during the week with us quite a bit was that his parents were coming over to visit him, which sounds like no sort of big deal, except that in COVID times, uh, Mark and Polita Leishman, who live in Warrnambool in uh, southwestern Victoria, uh, had not been to see their grandchildren and Mark and his wife Audrey for well over 18 months. And uh, 
There's been some videos go out on this, Matty, but it was a, a real-world story, wasn't it? Um, Leash really misses his dad. His dad and him are very, very close. Yeah, it just highlights the the difficulty of everything that's going on at the moment and, and people that have to live their lives overseas, whether they're golfers or regardless of what work they do and, and, and how hard it is to, to catch up as families. But he showed us that video that's now gone out on the PGA Tour socials one night at dinner and I think all of us with families sort of choked up a little. And I definitely had a tear. Just, tear yeah, it's just so nice to see. And the grandkids, like that is, two years is such a long time in a, in a child's life. So it was, that was beautiful. Absolutely. Uh, well, Matty, uh, that, that's all been great. Uh, we're going to take a break now. I think it's time to take a break and we'll come back and we'll wrap up a bit of um, Cam Smith in Memphis. was very interesting. We'll be back after this. With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. And uh, we've talked a little bit about the Tokyo Olympics, but one thing I wanted to raise with your cuts was the the format of the Olympic golf competition. It seems to cause a lot of comment and I, I had a chat to someone who's right at the heart of this over at Tokyo and I, I think that I know what's going to happen but what, from your point of view do you think that, the, that there's something seriously wrong with the format like a lot of people back in Australia seem to seem to be saying that, that, that it shouldn't be the the you know the four round stroke play? Yeah I guess prior to prior to being there I, I would have certainly liked to see a different format but you get over there and, and the excitement of the tournament sort of you get swept up in that. But look, I think from my perspective, I'd love to see golfers playing for more medals. We see, we see the other sports like swimming and track and field where they get multiple opportunities to win medals and, and the golfers slog it out for four days for, for one opportunity. Uh, I think more opportunities to win medals and, and maybe some mixed stuff, Blakey, I don't know what you think would be, would be great. Yeah, it's sort of the grafting of the Olympic idea of first, second, third, but it, it, onto the the golf situation where you had in the men's you had a seven way playoff for a bronze medal with some all time great players. I mean, I, I, there was mixed sort of reports about how that went over. I, I personally thought it looked a bit bit weird, but to see Rory McIlroy battling it out with six other blokes for a, a bronze medal at the Olympics, but KJ Choi, who was captain of the South Korean team over there was pushing very hard while he was there to have, in that situation, all all seven players would get a bronze medal. Now I don't know uh, whether that's that's going to happen, but it's it's worthy of note in the context of say swimming, which has a medal for everything. Dog paddling could get a medal. Um, you know, best bomb off the diving board could get a medal. I mean, um, it's unbelievable. They break up their sport into so many areas and here we are playing for gold, silver, bronze. And one thing I would say is that Mark Leishman was out of contention by the end of the third round. And in the final round, what is he playing for other than his own pride? He's representing his country. I accept that, but that, that was kind of difficult for him, wasn't it? Cause he's got to finish in the top three or he gets nothing. Yeah. And he, and he had no chance of doing that. He was about 51st, I think. And aside from some ranking points and that type of thing, fourth, is the same as 40th. So I looked at is what the Olympics brings and conversely players have never tried so hard to finish second and third. So that is the difference of the Olympics, but a team, surely a team uh, aspect would, would yeah. be a no brainer. It would, it would allow someone who hasn't had a great start or isn't sitting 
yeah. you know, winning position after two rounds to stay involved. Um, I think the Mexicans and the Irish would have been pretty strong. Hmm. Yeah, it, well, it, it, go on. It just, you've got to think there's more opportunities. And then, look, as we know, they want to get eyeballs on the sport as much as they can. So eight, eight days of golf is a great thing. But I don't know, could could there be some crossover with the, the, the final round of the men's and the first round of the women's where there's a mixed team over 36 holes, something like that. I just, mm. I just think more opportunities to get access to more medals, particularly in Australia where our funding is uh, in high performance, is, is hooked up to Olympic success. Uh, the more medals we're playing for, the more opportunities we have. Well, maybe it's a situation where golf has tiptoed its way into the Olympics. They've put a very standard format in and maybe they can tweak it as they go so there's a sydney cider there anthony scanlon who i spoke to over in tokyo he uh, worked on the well he's the executive director of the international golf federation who run the olympic golf and the world amateur championships in golf uh, he worked on the sydney olympics he's previously worked for the ioc and he's right on top of this um, what he said to me maddie was that they uh, they want to add a team uh, element to the to the competition so what they want to do is what 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 they had at previously at the world cup of golf where you have an individual competition and then you take uh, two players two men two player teams uh, and you add their score so do you remember i think jason day and, and adam scott might have uh, did they win the world cup uh, for Australia at Royal Melbourne a few years ago with that yep. kind of format. So that's what they're looking at doing. I don't know whether it'll happen for Paris, but it just means that in an instance like we spoke about with Leishman where he's out of the running for the individual, he can he still would be able to combine with Cam Smith or whoever it might be uh, to contribute something on the final day. Now, I don't, I don't know what you do with uh, someone who's only got one player um how do how does that how does that factor up against someone who's got two players or some countries have got more than two players so what do you do with them i'm I'm not sure whether you break break them into different teams but that's what they're looking at and he also spoke about the mixed element they want the the ratings for the women's element of the golf at the olympics are higher than any golf event all year because of bringing a broader audience uh, of non-golf people watching so it's a tremendous advantage to women's golf to have that many eyeballs uh, on their competition. So they don't want to just mix in the women with the men, if you know what I mean, and, and just have them sitting there as a, a mixed competition. I don't think it's going to happen, even though a lot of people say it's it's good. However, as you just suggested before, maybe they could, if they do have uh, two separate competitions, they, that doesn't mean they have they, they could be separate competitions but played at the same time, perhaps on a one-day crossover or in you know on the on the last day they cross over together in alternate groups like they do at the Vic Open or something like that I'm sure that they can work something out but Anthony um, is totally totally aware of it and seemed to me to be across it I don't think we're going to get the mixed teams event that people really scream out for and personally I don't think it's uh, all that bad as it is to be honest having been there it was it was pretty good yeah, having having been lucky enough to be there and see it, it felt like a major. The IGF did a fantastic job setting it up. The the it's not a tragedy, but the sad part was there were no crowds that that first day with uh, Mark playing with Hideki would have been yeah enormous seeing all the crowds there. I'm not sure how we would have got the cars in and out of that one road in, but uh, that's a problem we didn't have to deal with. But look, I think the team aspects are no brainer. Would be fantastic i think if you've only got one player 
maybe maybe that's just unfortunate. There's, yeah. There's athletics events that don't have any countries involved and there's athletics events that have one country dominant, whether it's Jamaica or the US. So I think the two-player team would be great and if we can somehow get a mixed event in as well, it would be the icing on the cake. Maybe it's maybe it's a work in progress, but I, I think they're taking things pretty slowly at the moment. They, it took them a long time to get golf back in. They don't want it to be too complicated uh, for the non-golf person, and, and stroke golf is very easy for people to work out. So um, let's just watch this space on that one. Matty, um, Cam Smith went straight from Tokyo to Memphis on a charter flight uh, with Mark Leishman, and they both played pretty well, and Cam Smith finished tied fifth in the World Golf Championship FedEx St. Jude Invitational. It was pretty impressive as well, albeit with a, a disappointing finish. It was, and and, and you realise how impressive these players are. This is their job week in, week out, and look, they don't work for 52 weeks of the year. Well, they don't play tournaments 52 weeks of the year, but we got to the end of that first week and we were knackered and, and we hadn't played. So to jump on a plane and then back it up in an event equally as important in Memphis and, and play well, it's... Uh, it's just kudos to these guys who, who do it week in, week out. But uh, he, uh, he putted pretty well, Blakey. 18 putts. Was it round two? Um, shot 62 off the stick. Had 18 putts. I think he chipped in twice, from what I understand. But So there's two holes with no putts, but still rolling it very well. I mean, his short game is exceptional. That was an equal PGA Tour record, I believe. And, uh, uh, you know, that that is some serious short game. Yeah, well, that's look, that's what he's known for. And, and having not watched him since the 2019 PGA at uh, Royal Pines, you forget how good he is. Like, he is – I don't think there's anyone better from inside 120 metres than Cam Smith, and, and that includes with the putter. He's, it, it's staggering to see how good he is, particularly around a golf course like that. But then to, to back it up, and the guys said before they left, actually, that Memphis is not an easy golf course. It's, um, it's got some tricky holes, and, and the greens roll a bit. So, um, yeah, phenomenal putting effort. And at the end of, of all that, he, he went into the last round with a, a good chance of winning. I think he was tied second and uh, come up, comes to the 72nd hole, tied for the lead with Harris English, I think, and uh, drove it into the trees. I, I would say if I was going to be uh, analysing Cam Smith's game and his mentality and all of that, I'd say he's got some of the best hands in the business, but under pressure he can miss with his driver, and he, he did, in fact, hit it into the trees. He then decided to try and win the tournament rather than just chip it out and uh, potentially make a bogey. He decided he, he may as well take a risk and he tried to punch it through some trees, hit another tree and it, it went out of bounds, I think, and uh, he ended up taking double bogey and finishing tied fifth. And for the for the uh, uh, the benefit of that, he picks up 380,000 US, but he would have been disappointed with the finish. Although, Matty, I, I did note that he, in his post-game press conference he said that uh, he'll be okay he was disappointed but a week on the boat fishing he'll be okay yeah he, he's certainly be okay and no one's got better perspective than cam but i think what this shows is that cam's not there to come second third fifth cam's there to win now um a few years ago uh this result would have been a fantastic result for cam but he is one of the best players in the world and and wants to be winning these world golf championship events and, and majors and he's more than capable of and, and the way he went about playing that 18th hole shows that. Exactly. I didn't mind it at all and he was quite honest about it uh, in the finish. Abraham Hanser from Mexico, former Australian Open champion, won the event. It's his first win 
on the US tour, but not his first win because we know that he won the Australian Open a couple of years ago. I, I think there's been some Twitter action about John Huggan, for one's been pointing out to a few people that uh, it's not Abraham Answer's first win as such, um, which is kind of funny. People forget about the Australian Open sometimes, don't they? Well, uh, we don't, obviously, but a uh, very popular guy, Aussie Abe, as Cam uh, called him. Cam was grouped with him at the Olympics and uh, a good mate of his, so a popular win for uh, for a couple of reasons for us. A bunch of Australians were in that field. Uh, Adam Scott, who's, uh, you know, trying to get himself into the um, the, the uh, group of players who will play in the FedEx Cup final series, or a playoff series, finished tied 36, so did Lucas Herbert and Leish, Mark Leishman, who shot 65 in the first round, uh, but then fell away a little bit. But all of those were at tied 36. Um, the Barracuda Championship in California, which is a secondary event, albeit part of the main tour, was won by Eric Van Royen of South Africa. Aaron Baddeley was the best of the Australians there, tied 23rd, picked up 32 grand on the European Tour uh, Grant Forrest won the Hero Open at St Andrews. There were no Australians up near the top there. Scotty Hend was the best one at tied 56. Corn Ferry Tour, it was the Utah Championship, and Brett drew it once again. Uh, tied 21st, picked up six grand. He's um, looking at his PGA Tour card. I would imagine he's been so uh, consistent. And Curtis Luck was 55th there as well, Muddy. Yeah, that uh, I think Brett's. Very close to sewing up his uh, card for next year. He's right on that uh, inside that 25 at the moment. Scores over there are a joke. Um, just be- as an example, Curtis Curtis opened with a 74, which doesn't cut the mustard on the Corn Ferry Tour, but went 62, <laughs> no. 67, 70 to finish 55th. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's a tough school. Incredible, isn't it? Uh, Steph Kiriakou continues to shine. Ladies European Tour, it was the Aramco Team Series in Spain uh, where she finished fourth. Uh, I believe that Steph, uh, out of St. Michael's in Sydney, is now second on the Ladies' European Tour money list or points uh, table. So she may well end up – I mean, she was Rookie of the Year last year. She may well end up being the the number one player on the tour in just her second year. Unbelievable, the start to her career she's had. She just keeps rolling. If there's a – well, it's not consistency when you're continually in the top five, but she just does it week in, week out. Yeah, she really needs to um, – she's too good for that tour. She needs to get on the LPGA, and I imagine that's on the on the radar. The Symmetra Tour was in Michigan this week, which is the secondary women's tour, and Julian Sue had a, a good result there, tied 13th. Uh, you would have had a bit to do with Julian uh, over the years in the Victorian yeah, good, programs. Good to see Jules uh, have a nice finish on the Symmetra. Uh, she's been over here for a little while. She went to – University of Oklahoma, so she's comfortable in the US and uh, nice to see her have a, a good result. And uh, just on the amateur amateur story, and to, speaking of people at, at college, uh, uh, Emily Mayer finished uh, in the quarterfinals of the US Women's Amateur last week, which was a pretty good result for, for Emily. Yeah, good result for Emily, Queenslander, who's based in the US, and uh, Grace Kim and Maddie Tolchard were also in the field, but uh, both of those fields, uh, the men this week and the women last week, not as many Aussies as normal for obvious reasons. And the they're following up. The USGA have the US Amateur for Men this week as well. And I'm not sure whether Lucas Michelle is playing. He was in the field, but I'm not sure whether he can actually get there to play it. But definitely Louis Dobelar has been over there, the Queenslander. Um, he's definitely playing. He's a good player, isn't he? Yeah, Louis had a great 
summer in the US. Louis has been over in the States for a little while. He's looking at potentially going to Corn Ferry Q School later this year as an option. But uh, I actually just had a text message from Lucas Michelle, and he is in the US. He was umming and ahhing based upon the travel restrictions coming home, but uh, he's going to look at um, doing some architectural work while he's over there as well. So a nice opportunity for him to, to play at the same time. Well, good luck to all the Aussies in the US Amateur this week, Matty. That's uh, the wrap-up of the this week's tournaments and the, the upcoming ones. Actually, the PGA Tour goes to the Wyndham Championship this week, which is the last of the regular season. So it's the last chance for players to to wrap up their their place in the playoffs. And I noticed that Adam Scott's at 121 on the list. He hasn't missed the FedEx Cup playoffs since they started in 2007. Uh, Smithy's already there. Leash is already safe. Actually, Smithy's having the week off. Cam Davis is there. Matt Jones is there. Uh, the one who's probably on the bubble is Cam Percy at number 133. Needs to jump eight spots to get himself in the, in the playoffs. Always a fun event for a different reason uh watching the back end of the field sometimes rather than the the top of the leaderboard but uh for you and i blakey nice to see some good tournaments this week and uh i'm more interested in the the scottish and the british women's over the next couple of weeks as we uh find some things to do here in quarantine i think we'll be watching a fair bit of golf i think so we'll be back in a moment and we're going to talk to another visionary of the year nomination with Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Uh, the Visionary of the Year Award, Matty, is a good one. It rewards clubs who make strides in the attraction of women and girls to, to the game of golf through our Vision 2025 strategy. And this month's winner is Medway Golf Club in the western suburbs of Melbourne. And we're lucky today to have Brett Scoven from Medway with us. Brett, welcome. Thanks, Martin. Thanks for having us. What's been happening out at Medway? I must say to you that I used to be a member at Medway with those horrible side hill lies that you can get out there at Medway, but a beautiful track beside the Maribyrnong, uh, some great views down there. Uh, I remember a very long par three, I think might be the sixth hole, and uh, another long par three at the 13th, but it's a really nice track in the western suburbs and a very popular club. Yeah, it's an interesting golf course. Um, the side hill lies aren't as extreme, Martin, as probably what you remember them. <laughs> but um, our, our 900 members seem to in, enjoy the club. And, no, it's a great little club here just uh, near High Point uh, Shopping Centre here in the west. And, um, no, we're, we're, we're doing really well. And, and the course is improving each year. And um, we're having a good time. And it's right to say that you've taken this on board, haven't you, the, the uh, idea that you, you need more women and you need more girls. Yeah, about three, four years ago, we just had a look at our, our stats and we saw that we had approximately 20% of our club were women members. So the board um, got together and we all sort of had a team effort and thought that wasn't good enough. So we um, we put a fair bit of time and effort into creating a pathway program to take a long-term approach to fix that and get more women playing golf and joining the club. It's like a, some sort of trial membership. Is that how it works? Yeah, so look, it, start, it starts with a... I guess the traditional coaching clinics and the new beginner programs just to teach um, new women how to play golf. But then we, we thought that we wanted them to um, retain them a little bit longer than that. So we created a five hole for $5 program, which followed the clinics. So the ladies after finishing their, their clinics could play five holes for $5 on a Wednesday morning. If you remember our course, Martin, the first five holes come back to the, 
Pro Shop, which is yeah, quite they unique. all loop, they all loop back, yeah, yeah. So it's a really nice course, and there's no water carries on those holes. So we um we started that, and and the lady members were great. The the women's captain Jill and Jenny were, were great. They they coordinated the women members to to play with them and chaperone them around the golf course. So we created that second pathway, I suppose, and then the third pathway was a trial membership. Yeah, your traditional six month membership for the ladies to to enjoy the course and play at various times um, in competition. And is it extrapolating out to more members for the club, stronger for the club? Yeah, so we joined. So there's 33 ladies at the moment in the trial membership, and um, we expect every year, you know, half half of that will will become traditional members of the club. They seem to be um, we're surveying them as they go, and they they're enjoying their experience and are, are looking forward to joining the club as traditional members. Just one more before I throw to Maddie, who I believe goes way back with you, Brett, but. Uh, what do you think, from your experience of running a golf club, are the issues for getting women and girls involved? What are the what are the problems? What are the hurdles? How do we get this right, in your view? I think probably the most important is just the buy-in across the board from your golf coach to your staff in the office to um, your women members, the board of the club, um, and just coordinate the whole package, I suppose. Um, take a long-term approach. Certainly, forget about dress codes and and you know, over overplaying all the rules and etiquette of the game, and just making it fun. You know, whatever happens on the course happens. Make it safe and um, get the ladies into the clubhouse afterwards, and, and make them want to come back next week. Brett, uh, there's an article on the GA website where where people can read more. But mate, a couple of things that I read in it was like you've d- just some smart decisions that you guys have made to 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 make it easier for people. One was about doing clinics outside of office hours um, because um, a lot of people are working nine to five and a lot of people are working random hours, so catering for uh, for everyone to be available. And then the second one was offering equipment. To people that needed it because again another barrier to getting people out there so uh i, I assume that, that those couple of decisions that were made early have helped get more and more people involved yeah definitely our coach alex pity has been great um and he's uh, happy to coach you know twilight hours like you said tuesday night after six o'clock um really when the ladies want to be coached sundays of course saturday um and then, yeah, the equipment, certainly we just didn't want it to be a big barrier that the ladies had to buy a set of clubs after a six-week clinic. So, as you know, Maddie, we've got uh, plenty of high clubs in the pro shop. So the ladies, um, when they pay their $5, can just grab a set of high clubs. We throw some second-hand balls in there. The members are good. They donate golf balls, tees, whatever whatever we need. And the ladies just take them out. We certainly aren't looking at it like to make a million dollars in the first year or anything like that. It's more about just creating that pathway and, take the long-term approach and, and, and the club will, will benefit in the end down, down the track. Oh, absolutely. It's, 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 it's a win for everyone. And I think coming together as a, as a group, uh, the women will sort of have friendships um, that grow along the way, but they're also going through the experience. They're going through the experience at the same time. So uh, they are learning and they're not playing with better players, so they're not uh, they're not frightened to get back. I guess. No, that's right, and they do stick together, and they they like to stay in their group from from when they were coached together, actually, and they tend to play together and and go through all the programs uh, as a group, which is a bit more fun for them. And um, yeah, no, they're, they're certainly enjoying it, and and really they they like going to the clubhouse too and having a drink afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Brett, it's uh, it's that 
uh, Maddie mentioned the word scared. Um, it's the intimidation is what a lot of women mention to me that, that start out in golf. They, they feel very intimidated. And that's, to me, that's where we've, what, I think this is what, that's what you've done is you've removed that barrier of intimidation. That's, what, that's what's got to be removed. I think so. Yeah, I think that's that's where obviously our women members play a vital role and our women's captains to to make that experience feel safe and and enjoyable and um yeah, don't over don't overburden them with too much information and and as I said dress code, you know, the club's been really good. They just come in relaxed clothes. The club's adjusted their dress code over the years to you know to to I guess adapt to the new trends of people and younger people. And um, yeah, we've um, we've enjoyed seeing them at the course. It's been been a, a breath of fresh air for the club too to have new new women playing golf. And the other thing I I probably should mention is that the way I look at it, and I, I don't know what you think about this, but twenty percent of club members in Australia are, are women. Um, you can look at that as a, a negative. Um, it's certainly not good enough. I understand that, but it's also an opportunity, isn't it, for clubs? I- Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a it's a huge market for all clubs to tap into. I mean, most clubs are doing well now um, in the last 12 months, but there was a bit of a battle there for a long time. And I think you're right, 20%. There's no reason why it shouldn't be 40, 50% uh, of your club should be a, a female. A female. And do you think the tide's turning? I think so. I think Golf Australia are doing a lot of good work um, in that area. It seems to be... You know, flowing through all all the all the, the clubs, and um, I'd like to think, yeah, long term, we'll we'll see an improvement in that area. And look, I think it'll be great for all golf clubs to, if they can achieve a high percentage in that space. Well, congratulations to Medway. You win a five hundred dollar Drummond Golf voucher, and now you're in the running to win up to ten thousand dollars worth of products from the latest Callaway Riva product range, which is designed specifically. For women, and that'll be for the overall Visionary of the Year winner. Medway was the winner for July. Congratulations, Brett, and thanks for joining us on Inside the Ropes. So, Maddie, why don't you take us out? Well, that's it for episode 219. Blakey, thank you for letting me hold the reins for just 30 seconds at the end. Good luck with your quarantine, and we'll see you again next week.